everyone. Welcome to Way of Life podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life podcast. if we do some questions that's that these it. guys have yeah i think that's the important aspect yeah, yeah that these things need to stand up to scrutiny that truth always invites questioning so open slather for people to ask away the bible says that you uh shouldn't worry or fear but what if you are suffering every day and if so what, what do you kind of do then hmm. yeah else? Um, appreciate this question because it's a lot of people's reality and mm. so whether suffering for physiological reasons or whether suffering from psychological reasons one of the biggest challenges of our day is the kind of state of mental health that something about our culture and our way of life is breeding terrible mental health so mm. the vast majority of people tend to have depression or chronic anxiety or chronic loneliness which is a deep form of psychological suffering yeah. and uh and so i appreciate kind of the the, the place that this question is asked from um when you're going through these things you know someone who is anxious about tomorrow say don't be anxious the bible says that anxiety is a bad thing so just don't be anxious mm-hmm. that's don't just not it. all that helpful oh, thanks dan um, what, didn't, uh, know, didn't know that <laughs> what what it is really i think more useful is at base everyone's big question the question behind nearly every other question is can i really trust god and this stems all the way back to the garden by the Mm. way the first doubt that was seeded by the serpent in the garden was Mm. whether you can really trust that god has your good at heart whether you can really trust his intentions did god really say oh no no god just wants to keep you back from being able to know good and evil being more like him you're missing out by trusting god's moral design he doesn't really love you all of that is wrapped up in this and so behind every question suffering or can i trust god or what about his hiddenness or Mm. most of the big hard wrestling questions is god really good and when it comes to someone who's saying, I'm, I'm struggling to know whether or not I can trust God, anxiety usually stems from an inability to trust that mm. things will play out for your good. Mm. The only way you can answer that question is not by trying to find out what that good is for you. Most of the time, we don't have access to those yeah. things. It's by discovering whether or not you can really trust who mm. God is. Yeah. And so my, uh, my, my biggest point of encouragement would be resting with the biblical story, particularly the Gospels, constantly saying, is this someone I can trust? Mm. My present is hard. God, I'm asking you to be with me. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for help. I'm reaching out to the people around me so that I'm not alone in it. Yep. I've got community in the church to walk with. God yeah, sets yeah, the yeah. lonely in families. But at the end of the day, the thing that I'm always alone with is my own mind. Mm. And the big thing that's ticking around in there is, can I really trust God that you're with yeah. me? Can I really trust that you're going to bring something out of this? Can I really trust that you're good and have my good at heart? And the only way to reassure yourself of that, to keep captive your thoughts, is by displacing unhealthy doubt mm. with healthy trust. Mm. And the only way to engender trust is not by denying the doubt. It's by seeing good reasons as to why you really it. can trust yeah. God. Yeah. And so my, my, would just bathe yourself in the story. Mm. 
It's, it's, it's what we're encouraged to do as Christians is bathe ourselves in the story, mm. bathe yourself particularly in the cross. Yep. Can I trust this person who's crying out prayers for forgiveness for yep. his persecutors and provision for his mother and promises to a thief yep. while he's suffering? Can I, can I trust this God that he'll see me through my suffering as well? Mm. Thanks, Dan. That was really good. Um, there's two questions in here. I'm going to do the second one. Is there anything in the mugs on the coffee table? Yes, there is. There is water. You know, do you want a little chance to have a little sippy sip? <laughs> it is water, I it can assure water. you. This okay. is the Baptist church. It is water. <laughs> uh, but the more serious question, um, why, why doesn't God control natural suffering uh, more? I mean, it makes sense that in a broken world, humans would cause suffering for other humans, but natural suffering doesn't make sense. I'm mm. assuming that probably, yeah, referring to natural disasters and yeah. other things yeah. like that. Uh, I mean, there are people of different ages here, but sure, <laughs> surely there's at least some who would have cultural memory. Think back to the South Asian tsunami back at the end of 2004, quarter of a million people wiped out, Yeah, you know. Um, to think through COVID-19 this year, you know, 800,000, nearly a million at the last count just keeps tricking up this sort of uh, global death count. And even then, when you consider, I mean, uh, back after the invention of the atomic bomb, C.S. Lewis wrote this essay, which is like, we shouldn't be, nothing's different. (laughs) The creation of the A-bomb, everyone's living in fear. Now we live in the, the age of the A-bomb. He's like, Nothing's different. The A-bomb is just one new way that we've discovered that we can prematurely end your life. But in reality, everyone one day is still going to die. All of us are going to be reduced from names to simply a number in the grand death toll of humanity. We're going to die at the hands of nature. And so what do we do to make sense of why does God allow that? And the biblical story uh, doesn't give all the answers on this, but it does seem to give some that in the beginning, God went about shaping the raw, chaotic waters, so to speak, Mm. this image in Genesis 1-2 of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, that this is an ancient symbol of chaos and Mm. God goes about bringing order and ultimately bringing order in a specific place called Eden, planting a garden for humanity to house themselves and to live with God. And were they to remain there, they would have had eternal life, the tree of life, ongoing biological life. They would not have been susceptible to sickness and decay and death in the same way as we are now. Mm. But because of sin being separated from God and therefore exiled from the garden, they no longer had access to the tree of life. Mm. And so that seemed to be they became susceptible to the same wild world beyond the borders of Eden and no longer able to have eternal life and we b- mm. became susceptible to sickness to death to decay in a way that wasn't intended for humanity to experience mm. now christians disagree as to whether or not they think this death and decay was part of the world beyond eden before the human fall perhaps because of an angelic rebellion mm. um, and the fall of the angels beforehand or did before just part of god's good design as well, that he intended us to bring order from chaos and tame a wild world beyond uh, the borders of Eden. Christians disagree about these sorts of things, but in general, what they agree upon was that we were not meant to experience things as we do, that we are at odds with our environment in a way that wasn't intended for us. And so that things like viruses, for instance, which served a meaningful purpose in the world, viruses kept the bacterial population in check. If you talk to a virologist, they say, we need to get rid of viruses. Good viruses are effectively what stops single-celled bacteria from consuming all of Earth's resources and making it impossible for higher life forms to exist. So we like viruses in general. (laughs) It's only when they jump into the animal or the human population that they become problematic in a way that that perhaps God didn't intend. And so it's just another reminder that we live at odds with our 
creation, um, the way in which natural disasters function. Uh, perhaps we weren't intended to inhabit the parts of the world where these natural disasters are prevalent, or perhaps they have become intensified as a result of human moral evil back in the garden to be able to serve as a warning or a wake-up mm. call that not everything is right between creator and creation. Yeah. As C.S. Lewis spoke of it as being God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world that not everything <laughs> is right, that yep. something's wrong, that we need to make yep. ourselves right with our yep. creator. And so in all of these different ways, uh, the, the Christian story would say that creation now and humanity are not in right relationship, that something is wrong, and that this wrongness is meant to help serve as the symptoms of a deeper sin sickness, that mm -hmm. what happens externally is natural evil is meant to wake us up that something has gone wrong between mm -hmm. creator and creation and be used as a way of helping to stir us, to awaken mm -hmm. us, to shape us, to form us, to humble us, to all of these sorts of things in a way that perhaps wouldn't have happened before. Um, C.S. Lewis said that uh, God whispers to us in our pleasures and speaks in our conscience, but that he shouts in our pains. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's been even interesting discoveries, and I would recommend that people pick up a book by one of my former colleagues, Dr. Sharon Dirks. She's a neurosurgeon who spent a lot of time looking into natural evil. She wrote a book called Why, because this is particularly troubling for her and her husband who suffers from an undiagnosable brain um, uh, sort of illness. Yeah. And, uh, but she says, you know, there's these fascinating discoveries of all these sorts of senses. You, know, you watch what happened in the tsunami, for instance, and a whole of the wildlife simply gets out of the way well before the human population became aware that anything was even wrong. You yeah. know, when the waters are receding from the shore, people are walking down going, gee, this is really strange. What's happening? All the animals are running for the hills. Mm. That they have this precognition and awareness from whether that senses in their joints or just a, uh, the more tuned in to what's yeah, happening yeah. broader in the media, um, like atmospheric pressures or whatever. Uh, they were aware that danger was coming and therefore got out of the way, whereas humans mm. tend to rush towards the danger rather than away from it. And this yeah. seems to be a, a pattern that uh, that perhaps if we were relating rightly to nature, we would know when and how to mm. be able to not be in the places where we're negatively affected by nature's um, patterns. So, so these are just various different ways that Christians think about perhaps yeah. why it would be framed this way. Yeah, but okay. ultimately, uh, Romans paints the picture that creation groans as in labor pains, mm. that something new is coming, a new birth is coming a new creation is coming it's waiting for that time where once again we will relate rightly to nature be yep. gardeners and governors again of god's future world mm. and won't experience the same problems of death and decay and disease and disorder at the hands of nature that we experience right now mm. where that will be set right again by the return of jesus mm. thanks dan that's awesome um how can i turn the pain and suffering i've gone through into something that helps me and others yeah, it's a really great question, and I'm glad you asked it. And uh, I don't have a magic eight ball answer to a question like that. I, I don't know any of the specifics. Um, I'd say the specifics you work out with wise people around you, people who love Jesus and themselves are immersed in the story and can help you figure out what that looks like specifically. Mm -hmm. But what I would say it looks like generally is lean into God. <laughs> I lent away from in the aftermath of our car accident. I mm. did, it didn't make sense to me, so I largely ran away from belief in God. And that doesn't really help you all that much. Uh, but if you lean into God's promises, if you look at suffering and struggle as an opportunity, it's almost like what Jesus' half-brother James says in the opening of his letter in the New Testament. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, knowing that this testing produces character, character produces perseverance, and perseverance hope, and hope does not disappoint. Mm -hmm. Or in 1 Peter, it speaks about a refining fire, a forge that helps us 
bring out the genuineness of our faith. Um, the way in which you lean into God's promises, to believe in his mm. goodness, to still follow the way of Jesus, to trust that while you hurt and while you have questions, God can bring something good in this. Often the temptation in the face of pain is to get angry, to blame others, to run away, to seek illegitimate comforts. That's where you really hurt yourself, where you turn other people away Mm. and you visit your pain on others. But where you turn towards God and voice your hurt and frustrations there, but yet still commit to follow the way of Jesus. I think it's that discipline, that path, that community of God's people around you that help transform what could be a moment of destruction to help instead repurpose that fire to be something mm. of refining instead. Yeah. And so that process of just coming and seeking God in the midst of your pain and your suffering, I think is the very way in which in leaning into his promises of what he'll do, mm. he brings that about in your life. That's good. I'll do one last question. Dan's going to stick around as well. Um, so if you have Would any other little questions, sure. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer. This one's a, a pretty pretty good, pretty, uh, yeah, heavy question. How can we trust in the goodness of God when we see the pain and suffering that his um, like representatives, like Christian leaders, so often cause and the inconsistencies of, of their ways of life? Yeah, this is a heavy question. Um, and as I speak pretty often in schools, you know, teenagers, they're yep. pretty honest in the questions that they yep. ask. Speak at universities, very, uh, most often it's not really a sympathetic crowd in terms of the baseline beliefs or the skepticism yeah, that, that kind of comes. And, uh, and I would say speaking in those environments, the predominantly secular ones, the biggest barrier to belief in God, to belief in Jesus, to becoming a Christian is other Christians. Hmm. It's weird to be in a situation where you're trying to talk about Christianity and the church is the biggest barrier to people taking what you have to say seriously because a lot of people either have seen what they've seen in the media and rightly so or have had negative experiences of Christians in their own life and so it's just turned them off the whole thing and so I feel the the weight of this question and you know feel the weight of it in that there's been deep disappointments in my own life of people that you look up to that just have not ended up being who you thought that they were and the kind of fallout that happens in that way. And so I I feel the weight of this question so much so that uh, last year I spent a ton of time thinking about it and did a talk called, If God is so good, why is the church so bad? Mm. Because, you know, you go back to guys like Christopher Hitchens who wrote a book uh, basically God poisons everything you know, yeah, or how yeah. religion poisons everything. Yeah. And uh, this perception that uh, Christians are, uh, when it comes to church history, it's all bad. The skeletons fill the closet and you've got the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisitions, mm. the witch trials. And then more recently in Aussie history, you've got the sexual abuse scandals. Yeah. And I yeah, just wanted to wrestle with the weight of all of that and mm. process this. And so I've got uh, maybe a couple of thoughts that would be helpful, but otherwise people could go and find that talk online, just do a yep, Google yep. search. And, but in one degree, uh, I don't know of anyone who calls out hypocrisy in religion more than Jesus. When something like the Spotlight team over at the Boston Globe, the ones who originally kind of brought to light the Mm. depth of cover-up of a church abuse by clergy over in their local diocese, Mm. that was what sparked really the worldwide scandal look into sexual abuse in the church. They were not doing the work of 
the evil one or of Satan or of seculars in doing that. They were doing the work of God by bringing evil to light, by calling mm. evil to account, because they were following the pattern of Jesus who did that constantly. Mm. He spoke of the religious leaders of his day as being whitewashed tombs. Mm. Basically, you're Instagram stars. You know how to renovate your life <laughs> on the outside, hey? Yeah. To look all polished, what you present to the rest of the world to build a brand. But internally, you are full of moral and spiritual corpses and it stinks. Mm. And I know the truth. I see through it. Yeah. And I just think, uh, you know, Jesus said his harshest words of judgment, not towards sinners or outsiders or unbelievers. His harshest words about judgment, about hell even, were reserved for religious leaders who were mm. misrepresenting God. Mm. And I just think that that's something that we need to sit with for a while, that Jesus called out all of that. And mm. he is angry. He's mm. really angry about it. And he also promises that judgment will start first with the house of God. Mm. If you read through the letters in the book of Revelation, these report cards for the church, no one gets away with anything. Everything is going to come to light and he's going to mm. call it to account. And that's going to be a moment of tremendous shame and yeah. reality for a lot of what's happened. Yeah. They don't get away with anything. No one will get away with mm. anything. Everything will be brought to bear. And I find great hope, even though it's terrifying knowing my own heart and life, yeah. I find great hope in that justice will be seen and will be served. Yeah. And I think that's good news for victims. Mm. I, I also think that for those who have been hurt by Christians and hurt by the church, allowing those wounds to persist by unforgiveness, Jesus actually wants us to free us from mm. that. Letting those wounds continue to define who we are is giving those abusers a power of us that they don't deserve. Yeah. And one of the most revolutionary teachings of Jesus of Nazareth was the difficult way of life in forgiveness. Mm. He asked people to forgive. How many times? Seven or 70 times seven? Yeah. Just keep forgiving, to forgive mm. your enemies. And now forgiveness does not mean saying what they did isn't wrong. Yeah. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you feel like everything's okay. Forgiveness is not entrusting yourself to that person again if mm. they're abusive, nor does forgiveness mean that there aren't necessary real-world consequences or repercussions for what was done. Yeah. But forgiveness is the established pattern of not holding something against a person, to choosing mm. to release feelings of vengeance or yeah. bitterness towards a person yeah. instead to open yourself up to be mm. able to experience healing. Super free. And, and, and this is part of God's heartbeat for victims is he doesn't want them to be stuck in this pattern where unforgiveness is like them continually drinking poison and hoping that the person that did it to them is going to die. Un unforgiveness yeah. is what kills us. It yeah. eats us out from the inside. Mm. And he wants us to free us from that to become the kind of people again that we were intended to be. Mm. Now, a couple of thoughts on hypocrisy in and of itself. I, I don't think hypocrisy undermines the truth of the Christian story or the truth of the gospel message. Mm. Because as we said before, freedom was God's means at the beginning. Freedom is God's end. He wants us to become wise people that will rule and reign alongside him. He doesn't remove freedom when you become a Christian. You don't become no. a robot that immediately obeys Jesus. What Christians believe is that Jesus composed a beautiful tune with his life. This is a metaphor of my friend John Dixon, the CPX guys in their documentary. He said, Jesus confused a beautiful tune with his life, something mm. like Bach's cello suites, a sublime piece of music. But their Christians are free then to either follow the score or as learners to sometimes wander off script or to play off key. <laughs> yeah. That's assured to happen. And throughout yeah. history, you see some Christians living up to the example of Jesus and living beautiful lives mm. and bequeathing incredible goods to the world. But then you also have some Christians who have not followed the teaching of Jesus. Mm. And the problem in that point is not that they were Christians. 
The problem is that they weren't Christian enough, yeah. that they didn't follow the score. They didn't follow the tune. They went off script and they did something that Jesus would not approve of. Yeah. And as a Christian, I simply say at this point, all they're doing in exhibiting that behavior, that evil, is that they're proving one of the central tenets of the Christian faith, mm. that all of us are damaged by evil. Yeah. Christians included. Yeah. And that whenever you get a bunch of messy people together, sadly, messy stuff Happens. is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I hope it's not true in the future. I hope the church becomes more and more a beacon of hope and healing, a beautiful thing for the yeah. rest of the world. That's what Jesus committed to. No matter how messy the bride is, no matter how messy the church is, he's still committed to making her beautiful mm. for all eternity. And yeah. so I just want to lean into that future, calling evil out for what it is, praying that the truth is told and evil is exposed, mm. seeking help and restoration and healing for the victims, and then moving towards a healthier future with accountability and transparency. Mm. I think that's the way that we need to, to move forward. And as the church learning how to model grace, even to the perpetrators, mm. even to the perpetrators, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they yeah. do even for the very people that were crucifying him, who were mocking him, who were beating him, who were gambling over his clothes at the foot of the cross, mm. even for them, he was praying that they would be forgiven. And Christians have this wonderful opportunity, not only for opening up a door of healing and hope for those who are victims, but also mm. of modeling what it means to deal rightly in the eyes of the law and justice, but also to seek restoration eventually mm. for the perpetrators, a path to redemption. Mm. I think we need to model both of those with an open hand. Mm. That's good. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for answering those questions and taking up your time to Thanks, come uh, visit the podcast and here at Wyndham Baptist too. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to listening to future episodes. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of fascinating yeah, people that you yeah. have on here. So a, a I'm glad to do humble beginnings and yeah. then sure it will go to new heights <laughs> from here. Yeah. And we got some good people lined up for the next Great. month. And so we'll bless you, mate. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Thanks.